Denizens of the Omniverse, welcome to the broadcast. We are here to wreck and scald. This is a show where I try to provide controlled burns for the rewilding of old growth souls, and my name is Nolan Clay Rogers. Now I feel the need to start this primordial episode with one of the main premises I've been dealing with for the past decade or so. And it's foundational, but it's also kind of like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool without floaties when you're three. So we're going to go with this. I've decided that each broadcast is going to be based around an outline from a couple questions that I then do a series of divinations on through different types of sortilage, like tarot cards or rune readings or geomancy or bibliomancy. And after I've done those readings, I'm then going to just kind of riff off of them and try and give a little bit more linear description discussion after a bit of the abstract stuff that I'll start off with. But starting from the premise of sovereignty, I wanted to first ask the question, what needs be said of sovereignty in this episode? To which the tarot reading replied, Impotent chicken hawks, nick your crook and crop. Now chained, they vivisect a bigand heart, and hope the pumping stops. To which then Geomancy replied, How many of us weep when joined with our power? And then the runes chimed in with, Loaded dice beat drowning tongue for the old one's cattle pyres. Finally, the I Ching Gave a little jingle-jangle at the sprinkle on the end. Try limping over a gorge without principles. And the first of my two little bibliomancies that I did between the Tao Te Ching and the good book itself, the Tao Te Ching led me to 59, which says, For governing a country well, there is nothing better than moderation. The mark of a moderate man is freedom from his own ideas, tolerant like the sky, all-pervading like sunlight, firm like a mountain, supple like a tree in the wind, he has no destination in view, and makes use of anything life happens to bring his way. Nothing is impossible for him, because he has let go. He can care for the people's welfare as a mother cares for her child. And the good book brought my randomized finger to Revelation 14.16, which is an interesting one. And it said, And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. All this in response to what need be said of sovereignty. Now I feel that you'll need me to say some things about sovereignty here and get over all of that abstract drivel for a second. Sovereignty itself literally comes from the Latin super regnum, which means above rule. That's why most kings, queens, or monarchs, they're called sovereign, because they are above rule. They are the ones that set the rules, usually. But what's important to realize is that sovereignty isn't really a title given to rulers of men that make men's laws. A sovereign is a metaphysical 
state of being. Sovereignty is a metaphysical state that every single one of us is born into and then very, very quickly convinced that we are not in and never can be in such a state of sovereignty. Because to be above rule, well, that just kind of thumbs a nose in the face of every government, religion, educational institution, media, news, parental authority, just about everything. Because to say that you are innately above rule is a very, very different premise than we're all raised with. But I've found practically that when you just behave as though you are above rule, life improves. Now you can stop the recording right here and just have fun with that. Take these strange little ramblings from some throwing bones and laying down of cards and just behave as though you're above rule and see where that gets you. That could be an interesting experiment, hopefully for the better. But assuming you're going to stick around for a little bit more, I've kind of concatenated sovereign behavior into five little points. So if we'll all go into a nice little closed-eyed state, picture a little five-pointed star and start at the top. The top behavior of sovereign is that they consult the divine. A sovereign being above rule means that they're above a lot of things and therefore pretty close to the stars and the sky and the heavens, all of which are associated with divinity and the gods. And so being so close to the divine, they can then speak with it and interact with it and communicate with it. Divine coming from a Proto-Indo-European root word meaning to shine. And so as a sovereign consults the divine, they are then able to bring back parts of that divinity down with them and inside of them, and then exude it to anyone they come across. Now from the top of that little imaginary sovereign star, go down to the left to the second behavior of a sovereign, which is to give their people and their land what they need when it is needful to do so. Now, a need is a very earthly and grounded and concrete way that we interact with our existence in this lifetime. The pure material necessities require sustenance, they enforce boundaries, and they mandate a sense of direction because the material has these things called landmarks, and they tell us where we're going, where we've been, and a sovereign is able to provide those boundaries, determine where the edges of the map are to work the land and help the people to provide for themselves and others, and then create that direction towards the mountaintop or towards the valley or down the river or across the ocean. And he only does that when it is needful, because a lot of times a sovereign recognizes that everybody else is sovereign. And if they are acting upon their sovereignty, then he's not needed. It's not needful for him to do anything, because existence just does itself. Sovereign beings will be sovereign and will find the right course of action because of their alignment with objective reality and with truth and with 
the natural laws that we're all born into, that it provides us this sovereignty. Now from that bottom left-hand point of the star, go up and to the right to the behavior of magic or art. Now, before we get in a tizzy going back to the 80s satanic panic and start clutching our pearls, let's give a couple definitions for magic and see how they stick to the wall and find out if they're all Dante enough for you. Now, as Aleister Crowley gave a definition, magic is the art and science of causing change to occur in accordance with the will. See? Not too satanic now, is it? It's fairly straightforward. Like, if you can cause change to occur in accordance with the will, note in this definition, the W is capitalized, but you can lowercase it if you so choose. I would advise against it. However, causing change to occur in accordance with the will is existence in life. Anything you cons consciously change in accordance with your willpower, with your own strength and force of nature, of your internal muchness, is magic. Whether you're pounding out a hammer of steel, whether you're filling out a spreadsheet, if you're reading a book or drawing or creating, you're doing magic. Bravo. You're probably a heretic in whatever religion you claim to be a part of. Now, for the second definition magic provided by Mr. Alan Moore, magic is synonymous with art, literally being an art. And Art is the science of manipulating symbols, words, or images to achieve changes in consciousness. Now, what does this mean for sovereign? For sovereign, magic means the utilization of language to make things happen. Every hero speaks magic words one way or another. And that magic doesn't come from outside forces, the magic comes from inside themselves, from their own combination of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. That's where the magic resides. And the sovereign is able to use that magic to express themselves and their will upon the world, and then other sovereigns will be able to recognize that and express their own will and create that change in either the physical reality or their own consciousness, which arguably is physical reality. But from consulting the divine to doing what is needful to doing magic, now go across and to the left of that star. For the next behavior of a sovereign is to choose love over fear. Love is the end-all be-all of directives it is a prime directive for all of you trekkies out there because whenever you choose love you will gain knowledge about a thing that you say that you love and actually do love with every fiber of your being and that knowledge of a thing leads to sovereignty which is your internal monarchy that creates your own sovereignty and promulgates it to everything else around you that internal monarchy and sovereignty leads to freedom, which is the external anarchy, because nothing else needs to be controlled, because you control yourself. And because you control yourself and every other sentience around you controls itself, that's an orderly state of being. The only way you can get to order is through anarchy, 
because starting from love, you get the moral good of all the things that we say we want in life. But you have to focus on love. Because love is the only thing that's aligned with the truth. Love is the only thing that is aligned with the natural laws that provide us that inherent sovereignty. And those principles with, which lead us to a good life, which lead us to that internal mar monarchy and external anarchy. Then finally, from love, go down to the right to the last point of our little sovereign star, to the behavior of force. And the behavior of force is a combination of non-aggression and self-defense. Two rules that will always make sure that you're in the right and never in the wrong. Because if you make sure that you're not aggressing against anybody else, that none of your actions harm another entity, then you're in the right. And guess what? If someone else tries to harm you through their actions, you need to defend yourself with force. The proper utilization of force is a right that is always available to every person, because it is always right to defend yourself against someone who is trying to aggress against you and harm you. Period. End of story. Because the force is your own internal strength that is in harmony with natural law and morality, and it doesn't violate anybody else's rights. Because the use of force is never wrong. That's why it's force. As opposed to the opposite of all of these behaviors, which brings us to the enemy of sovereignty. The enemy of sovereignty has an upside-down little star that <sighs> brings us to all of the things that we say we don't want in life, but somehow continue choosing generation after generation, eon after eon. And that enemy of sovereignty, the holder of this little inverse star, is religion. Now, again, before the pearl clutching begins and the saber rattling begins, let's just take a definition here. Religion, as postulated by Cicero, comes from the roots religere, which means to go through again, or literally to read again. Augustine, on the other hand, states that the etymology comes from the Latin religare, which means to bind fast or to hold back. Neither of those definitions really align with what most people would like to say that their religions do. But, in all reality, religions make you go through things again and again and again, always being in the same little hamster wheel or rat race. And they always hold you back and obligate you to things that you didn't agree to. Just because of the strange happenstance that you so happen to be born in a culture that was dominated by that religion. Keyword dominated there. Because religions ultimately are anything that you have to go through again and that holds you back. So that makes government, education, actual religions the media, your video games, your addictions, your base-level desires that keep you from desiring or achieving sovereignty. They're all religions. Sadly. And so, what are the behaviors 
of a religion. What does a religion do? If we go back to our behaviors of a sovereign, we can make a nice little sense that a sovereign divines need, magic, love, and force. Whereas the opposite, a religion mediates desire, heresy, fear, and violence. Now, let's start at the bottom of our little inverted star of religion. Mediates literally comes from words meaning the middle, the mean, the average. Because if you're in the middle, you're probably mean and average. If you're average, you're probably mean and in the middle. And all permutations thereof. Because to mediate means that you're splitting a natural whole. You're creating a false dichotomy, a Hegelian dialectic. You are now replacing what is natural and what is objective and true with something that is unnatural, constructed, and coerced, and inherently made by man, rather than by nature. That's what a mediator does. It takes your relationship between you and something else, and it puts something in the middle of it to stop it and to hold back that relationship. Thank you, religion, for mediating natural human interaction. Human interaction with the divine, human interaction with each other, human interaction with nature. That is the main behavior of religion. Now from the lower point of this unholy star, go up and to the right, and we have the behavior of desire rather than need. Religions promulgate desires rather than satisfy needs, and even determine what is needful. Wallowing in desire means that you're left in this constant state of gray, because, sure, you don't need to buy that expensive video game system, but you can budget it, so you might as well waste that extra money on it. Desires lead to compromise. It's like, eh, I need to eat, but I also need to get to work real quick, so I'm going to eat pretty unhealthy because it's just convenient, and I just want to get to work and get some food in me, so let's have that factory farm little slab of grease and call it a day. Desire, ladies and gentlemen. Desires are also just distractions from our true purpose of becoming sovereign and waking everybody else up to their sovereignty. And these are these base desires that are effectively addictions of any and all kinds. You can be addicted, for sure, to your religion, to your government, to the media, to your education, more importantly. And those desires lead down into the left to the behavior of heresy. Heresy being the opposite of art and magic, because what is most often found to be heresy throughout history are art and magic, which is a science, the arts and sciences. Heresies demand silence from those who practice art and science. They demand compliance, and they end up promulgating absolute nonsense and the untruth of how reality truly functions. Now, we completely foreign to this idea of heresy because we don't happen to live in a current year where people are forced to stay inside their homes or silenced off of 
major discourse for their sinful musings in public or in private. No, no, no. We're far more enlightened than that, surely. But alas, heresy leads over into the right to the opposite of sovereign love to religious fear. Fear, whenever it is chosen instead of love, leads to ignorance, which then leads to internal confusion that upsets the internal monarchy that should be there. That confusion then leads to external monarchy, which is control systems, totalitarianism, despots and dictators taking every single ounce of freedom away from you for any reason they so desire. And that real nice and tight control of everyone that's not sovereign leads to chaos, which is absolute moral evil. So yeah, sure, everybody gets to have their nice little safe spaces, climate-controlled, 62 degrees, all day, every day, right amount of clothes on, government-issued, of course, but... Never get to exit that little gray room, do ya? Chaos. In a nice, tidy box. For everyone. And then finally, the final behavior necessary, if fear doesn't keep people in line for religions, is violence. The opposite of force. Violence, of course, is the immoral application of force that causes harm and aggresses against somebody else, which is always a wrong and never a right. It is utilized to coerce, compel, and restrain those that it is vested upon. And that's always the problem with religions, isn't it? That they really do love their monopoly on violence. Oh, we can stick a gun in your face because you decided to have a two-liter bottle of soda, but no, you don't get to stick one back in our face. That's bad. We've got to put you to jail. We've got to put you down, don't we, little dog? Sad day. Sad, sad day for our little non-sovereign. But welcome to life as a religion. All those behaviors just the absolute opposite of a sovereign. Because none of us have really ever been raised in sovereignty. None of us have really had a good moral education in how to be sovereign and what it takes to be sovereign. And so thus I went back to my little divinations and asked, how do I regain my sovereignty? To which Tarot gave me this little line, Dark the milk which feeds our light, and by darkened light are we sworn to holy war. Geomancy then chimed in on top of that with, I tripped upon a girl, and remembered I fly. And the runes clattered to the ground, saying, Every day's a savior's mass, so eat and drink from every glass. Then the I Ching chimed in with its little broken and unbroken lines that, My pegs are thin, but I'm in place. Lighten the load, or I will break. And then my bibliomancy took me to 17 of the Tao Te Ching, which says, When the master governs, 
the people are hardly aware that he exists. Next best is a leader who is loved. Next, one who is feared. The worst is one who is despised. If you don't trust the people, you make them untrustworthy. The master doesn't talk, he acts. When his work is done, people say, Amazing, we did it all by ourselves. And the good book chimed in at Psalm 106, verse 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. All this to answer, how do I regain my sovereignty? I don't know how you all will answer this for yourselves, but I've known that the more that I've set up boundaries, which I didn't have a whole lot of in my life beforehand, the more I realized how opposed everyone else is to others becoming sovereign, to breaking free of the religious shackles and chains. Because when I've set boundaries, you start to realize how many people think they own you. It's an astounding thing, because we're taught that in our religious and governmental systems, that loyalty is rewarded, that, oh, we live in a meritocracy. Well, it's not the case. This oftentimes feels a bit more like being in the mafia or a gang. But, uh, once you're in, you can't ever get out, bub. You try to get out, oh, no. We'll give you a pair of emotional concrete shoes. Make sure you never leave. Oh, you try and break out of those concrete shoes? You saw off your legs? Nah, 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 nah. We're going to break your kneecaps then so you can't even hobble on the stubs. Well, sadly, I'm either too dumb or too stubborn to take the hint, and, well, I hobbled out anyways. Upper body strength helps. Later in life, testosterone development also helped with that. But boundaries. Boundaries really helped me start regaining any semblance of sovereignty that has led me to a much better place in life. Because uh, it's just not it's not good to be in a state to where you know you're not in control of anything. And any internal you control you start exerting over yourself is shunned and ostracized and looked down upon by everyone else. Because everyone else is having to embrace the suck, and they want you to wallow in the little pigsty with them. I quite frankly don't like the pigsty. I'd much prefer a cool, clean pond, like most pigs do. <sighs> But boundaries have done pretty good. Done pretty good for me. And I would presume that they would for most people, but it's hard to set up boundaries. So, a small little exercise that most people can do, I think, is just take an overhead shot of your house or your room, if that's all you have, or even just a small shelf. Something that you know is yours. And you can have full control over. And draw a little map of it. 
draw it physically, draw it in detail, draw it abstractly, but make a map of your territory, your sovereign territory that is beyond the rule of anybody else. And when you know that little piece of territory inside and out, start to expand. Have a little conquest, why don't you? Take more control of your environment, of your own body, of your own soul. Expand that map to where you're sure and you're confident that you have a space for your sovereignty. That you have a space for your people, the people inside of you. The thousands and thousands of generations that have come before you, that live inside of you, that you have an obligation to take care of. And they also want to take care of you as soon as you start doing that. That was a really good point of sovereignty for me, is recognizing your own internal kingdom. And a lot of techniques help with that. Be it hypnosis or meditation, specific types of meditation, mind you. Uh, visualization, reading, fantasy. A little bit of philosophy here and there helps, but not too much. You can get stuck on that. But creating those boundaries, and then starting to fill up those boundaries and sustain them and give them life. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's so good. And before, I always thought, you know, tarot cards and divination and different little things like that were just cold reading BS that I could just shake off. So, of course, I set out to disprove it, and, well, I ended up getting pretty good at them myself because, well, they work somehow. As to how they work, I can probably get into in another episode, but that's the consultation with the divine. You don't need to get into tarot cards. You don't need to get into the woo-woo crystal. Ooh, I got an amethyst, so now I'm enlightened and my third eye's open. No, no, no. The divine is, back to the root word of it, is anything that shines. So consult with the divine. If there's any cartoon or a movie or a story that you remember so vividly and it just makes you feel good every time, revisit it. Go back to it. Consult it. Dive deep into the symbolism of each of those things. Because part of divinity is becoming symbol-minded. Not simple-minded, though. Six one half dozen the other. The symbol-mindedness that you will gain from going towards those things that shine. Those things that have given you light in dark spaces. Reminds you of the inklings of sovereignty you had in earlier points in time. And that allows you to go back to that time and then let it grow. Give it a little water. Give it a little nutrient. Give it a little sunlight. And before you know it, you'll be finding other things that remind you of your own sovereignty. And you'll want to surround yourself with all those things of your sovereignty. And you'll consult them more and more and more often. Because that's what each holy book from every religion is supposed to be, is it's multiple people's experience of the shining divinity all around us and always available to us and then religions decided to take those individual experiences and say that oh no these are the only types of experiences you get to have and also here's how you get to interpret those experiences otherwise it's heresy 
yeah, no, that's not sovereignty. That's not divinity. That's not faith. So go back to a holy book that you've probably shunned. And anytime it says, to thine be the kingdom, the power, and the glory, say that to yourself and see how it makes you feel. Every time a holy book might say, oh, peace be upon him, make sure that you say, peace be upon me. Peace be upon myself. More importantly, if you ever reach a spot in a divine passage that says, fight, Arjuna, fight, well, you remember that that's what you're supposed to do because we do have an enemy. And that enemy has lodged itself so deeply inside of us that that's the only war we need to fight. The sovereign war for our own spirits, our own minds, our own souls, our own bodies. Because if we try to fight anybody else's battle for that, it's just going to go bad. We're just going to end up trying to control somebody else because we haven't learned how to control ourselves. And we have to stop doing that. Because every time somebody says, oh, well, if we just get the right people in office, or, oh, well, we just need a change of governance, and no. It's like saying, oh, I want a different kind of mind control. Oh, please give me a different type of chemo today, even though I'm not sick. <sighs> yeah, no. Just fight the war inside yourself. Because ultimately, the, the whole language of, of war, of fighting, of there being an enemy, it's all a lie. There is no enemy. As Grant Morrison says in The Invisibles, this is a rescue mission. And we're all here to rescue ourselves. We're all here to rescue the divine spark inside of ourselves. That's forgotten or been so far removed from its own divinity and its own sovereignty that we've got to make the conscious effort to bring it back into alignment with what's natural, with what's true and moral and objective. To make our lives beautiful again, to make the collective divinity whole and thriving once more before some other apocalyptic catastrophe makes us restart all over again. Because... Who needs another flood when you can have, oh, nuclear firestorm or the sun having a coronal mass ejection or a nice little sloshing of the tectonic plates and a little flooding here and there. And yeah, no, I'd prefer that not to happen. And I'm confident that we can all get to a point of sovereignty, a critical mass of physical divinity, if you will, that can prevent a lot of that from happening. And that's what I'd like to see. That's what I'd like this project to provide for people is proof and evidence that I've been keeping inside myself for all these years when I've needed to express it and be brave enough to just put it out there. And I haven't quite done that. I haven't done my job as good as I need to because if I'd been doing this earlier, I've been in a whole different place in life. But if I'd done that, I may not have the wife that I love and my little girl on the way that now has definitely kicked my rear in gear to get everybody else on the same train because so I'd like to leave the station and go to better better climates better environments where we can actually breathe and walk around and stretch our legs not get all cluttered in this emotional smog that tells us all nah 
Do what I say. Do what we want you to do. No, that's not what I want. So I can dither on for ever and ever about this, but effectively, let's just remember that a sovereign does what's needful. A sovereign practices magic or art, depending upon your aesthetic preference. A sovereign chooses love over fear every time. A sovereign knows when to apply force and knows that the application of force is always right, as long as they do not aggress against others and defend themselves from the aggressions of others. And it all loops back into making sure that each sovereign consults the divine, seeking for what shines out in their lives and what rings true time and time again for them. Citizens of the Omniverse, this has been Reckon Scald. And always remember, you are sovereign. <laughs>